The call for proposals for Voice Summit 2020 is available now. Having the opportunity to speak at Voice Summit will be highly competitive this year. So if you'd like the chance to be a speaker at this year's event, fill out the form at voicesummit.ai and click on Apply to Speak. Proposals are only open until January 31st, so be sure to get yours in now. That's voicesummit.ai and click on Apply to Speak. We are entering into what our guest today, Dave Kemp of Oak Tree Products, calls the oral attention economy. Dave talks about why we're headed into a more audio-based world, how podcasts, voice, hearables, and search will work together, the effect hearables have on our brain, and how brands should think differently about developing for hearables versus an at-home voice device. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your co-host, Carrie Roberts. And today, my guest is Dave Kemp. He is the business development manager at Oak Tree Products and the creator and publisher at Future Ear. Welcome, Dave. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate the uh, opportunity here to chat with you. So Oak Tree Products is a family-owned business that was started by your parents. What got you into the hearable space and even more so into voice now? Just a brief history. So my parents... Started Oak Tree back in 1992. Just for reference, I was born in 1989. I'm the youngest of three. So they had three kids under the age of 10 when they started the business, which, you know, it's just kind of still crazy to me that they took that much risk. But they saw an opportunity. They basically started with one product line. It was our brand, which is called Audiologist Choice. And basically, the whole idea was that we would sort of service this particular medical professional, which is hearing healthcare medical professionals. So that's going to be audiologists, ENT doctors. So we've grown to become the biggest distributor of clinical supplies and assistive devices to this professional. We have about 5,000 different products that we sell to them today. And um, for us, we're always looking to come up with ways that we can be of service and be a resource to this professional. So for me, when I came and I started working at Oak Tree full time in 2016, you know, my whole initiative was, okay, what can I bring to the table that's a little bit unique and that would be valuable? I have uh, an affinity and a passion for technology. What I realized in 2016 was you sort of had two things that were transpiring sort of simultaneously. You had all of the in-the-ear devices, hearing aids, and then consumer hearables, everything was sort of shifting toward Bluetooth. I believe it was in the summer of 2016 when Bluetooth headsets surpassed wired headsets for the first time in terms of sales. And um, we've just seen that continually you know, progress, especially with the omission of the headphone jack and some of the different handset models. So you know, and then you have the explosion of AirPods and, and just these truly wireless devices. And so what I sort of came to the realization is, okay, so you have all of that happening. And because that then enables this ability sort of to wirelessly connect your ears to your phone and therefore to the internet, I realized that's going to then sort of facilitate the emergence of some new use cases. And one of the main use cases is this new burgeoning world of voice assistants. You know, I kind of looked at it as a logical progression that one day, which is kind of starting to 
become realized now is this convergence of having the voice assistant sort of reside in the in the ear device, the in the ear device serving as a home for these. And so for me, you know, I launched Future Ear, my blog, back in 2017. This year, you know, I think it was like February and March. I transitioned it from being more of like an essay-based, once a month kind of blog post format. I transitioned it to a daily update. And so every day I write a post about 500 to 700 words, Monday through Friday, where I just detail out something interesting that's going on. You know, Maybe I'm surfacing something from Twitter, or I'm sharing a podcast that I heard that I thought was really interesting. And then with that, I have this companion future ear radio flash briefing that is a one-minute sort of preview of what I wrote about that day. And again, all of this is my effort to sort of serve as a resource for my industry to say, you know, you're a really busy professional. It's one thing for you to already have to stay on top of all the news that's happening within our industry. And then, oh, by the way, you need to stay abreast on all of this technology change that's happening. So why don't, you know, instead of you taking the effort to go and try to, you know, consolidate that information and and source it on your own, you can just come to Future Ear and stay abreast that way, you know, whether it be through my flash briefing or through my blogs, but really to just kind of highlight all of the interesting things that are happening as I kind of, you know, consider them to be around like these new use cases and then the broader trends that that impact so that, you know, these busy professionals can can free themselves up and, and quickly sort of surmise what's happening. And congratulations to you for doing all of that. You've definitely become a name within the space in voice and hearables as a whole. And I know you like to talk about the oral attention economy. Can you tell us what that is and how hearables plays a role? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> I love this because it sort of blends all the things that I talk about together into one coherent narrative. So basically, there was a an article that uh, it was actually like a post that Daniel Eck, who is the CEO of Spotify, he put out right after uh, Spotify acquired Gimlet Media and Anchor, which happened early in 2019. And he used this is the quote that I, I reference this all the time, and it's something that I try to always reiterate. He said, to really understand, take the current value of the video industry. Consumers spend roughly the same amount of time on video as they do on audio. Video is about a trillion dollar market, and the music and radio industry is worth about $100 billion. I always come back to the same question. Are our eyes really worth 10 times more than our ears? So that's sort of like the core foundation for this whole new burgeoning oral attention economy, as I call it. You know, we think back to the last 10 years and everything that mobile facilitated, right? From the major successes in the app economy that we look at today, you know, you have all of the different social media apps, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, you have things like Netflix, right? Or different ride-sharing apps, Uber, Lyft, the scooters now with Lime and Bird. And so you kind of have to think about this in two ways. One, all of those different apps and different services were all predicated on the mobile computing paradigm, right? Everything was built on this layer because whether it be the GPS or the camera or just the overall fact that you had, you know, every single consumer more or less has a supercomputer in their pocket. 
that enabled this new wave. And, and really what it enabled was the first sort of attention economy, which was very visually oriented. And again, going back to some of the different apps that I named, we think about the things that dominate people's usage on their smartphones. It tends to be those 10-ish apps, whether it be Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, or TikTok, or even Netflix. It's one of two business models. It's either a free service that you get ads you know, littered throughout, or you pay a subscription. And so the way that I look at sort of what's happening now is in that same vein, right? Where what voice computing and all the affiliate hardware is doing is it's enabling in the same way that the mobile phone enabled all kinds of new services, right? It enables this ability to have on-demand audio content passively consumed. Again, tying this into hearables and like the conversation that you had with Andy Bellabia, sort of how the hardware is enabling longer usage. What you then have to start to think about is okay, so if people are going to be wearing hearing, you know, like devices, whether it be uh, AirPods or hearing aids or Echo Buds. In the same way that you had to think about, okay, so because somebody now has a supercomputer in their pocket and this is in mass, what does that then enable? That's sort of, I think, where we're at today is understanding that sort of the playing field is being set today and it's being enabled by these massive tech companies like Amazon, Google, Apple, Samsung. And because of that, it's kind of giving way to this new way that I think companies are going to look to sort of monetize our attention which is going to be largely through our ears, right? I think that today it's primarily done through our smartphones, but I think as the world becomes more ambient and as there are more voice assistant enabled devices, I think that that's going to give way to, again, this idea of like passive content consumption. And I think it will be really interesting to see how companies come up with ways to more or less monetize our ears. Now, I don't know if you can answer this question, but how do hearables change our brain activity? Meaning, do they allow us to maybe multitask better? Is it activating different parts of our brain than images do? Do you have any thoughts or anything yeah. that you can kind of bring to light on that? It definitely is a different... It's definitely triggering different parts of your brain. I don't know the, the hard science behind you know um, the, the efficacy of, you know say listening to a podcast and retaining information relative to reading it through a blog post. And I think that's probably pretty variable based on the person, you know, we're all different types of learners. But the biggest thing is, is that it enables more content on the go. And I think this is important. And I think that the reason that we're starting to see, you know, there's kind of these new battle lines that are emerging we kind of look at voice and you can trace it back to the, the first battleground, which was the home. And then now as it starts to move out of the home, we're seeing things like the office, the medical setting, the classroom, and the car. So I think that places like the car or in hearables, what it's really it's enabling is this ability to consume content on the go. And, and what is now sort of the next piece that we need in order to really make this become just continually more realized and more just as compelling as consuming information through your phone, for instance, is 
the building blocks and the different tools. And so what I mean by that, take Audio Burst, for example, right? That's a startup in the voice technology space. And the premise of what they're doing is to more or less kind of index and catalog all kinds of different radio and podcast information. And that's really important because what then allow for is, whereas today, if you want to listen to, say, a podcast with Elon Musk, right, or something that pertains to Tesla, you are limited to, you know, you can go in your podcast app and you can search, but you're sort of searching by the title of the episode or you're searching by the tags on the episode, for instance. But what isn't really being made readily available to us today yet is to actually search by the context. And that's why I think companies like Audioverse, they give sort of a a line of sight into where this is going. And and I think this factors into the broader theme that I'm trying to kind of communicate here, this RL attention economy, because what it would allow for is this ability to say, okay, Alexa or Google Assistant or your voice assistant, I'd like to listen to play me news that pertains to Tesla or play me news that pertains to Tesla's most recent earnings report. And so rather than feeding you a BuzzFeed summary or something like that, or connecting you to a podcast that's titled Tesla Q4 Earnings Report or whatever, what it's actually going to do is it's going to take different sound clips from actual episodes where they're specifically talking about that. So say you have a 60-minute podcast, and five minutes of which are dedicated to talking about Tesla... In theory, what they're trying to do is make it so that you would be able to take that five-minute clip, string it to a five-minute clip from a different podcast, string that with a radio segment from one of the different radio services that they're broadcasting. And then ultimately, where we're going is this ability where it's jobs to be done, right? It's this notion that if the whole reason that I'm using my podcasting app on my phone is because the job that I'm trying to get done is that I want all the information that's relevant to a stock, for instance, or a company that I'm really interested in, if that job can be just as efficiently done through my voice assistant, through my hearable, through a simple command where I just say, hey, Alexa, play me the most recent news pertaining to Tesla, and it feeds me 20 minutes worth of different types of content that's specifically tied to that, I look at that to be sort of an alternative to the way that we consume content today in essence, doing the job in a different manner, but still kind of succeeding in executing the job that you're trying to get done, if that all makes sense. Yes, which, I mean, that would be incredible. So that's not something that's fully happening just yet, or is it happening now? No, so it's not something that's happening yet. It's something that Audio Burst is in the process of sort of building that out. And, and it's you know yet to be seen if it will be a company like Audio Burst or if it will be an incumbent like, say, Google, where Google will basically through some methodology, be able to take all of their, you know, all the podcast content out there and index it and make it searchable in sort of the same way that they've done with text. Again, these are sort of where we stand. And and so that's one side of this. And the other side of this whole aural attention economy is on the content creation side. Okay. So this is a really important point to point out because again, going back to mobile, as mobile became steadily more and more popular, there became more content to consume. But in order for there to be more content to be consumed, it had to become easier to produce that content. And so that's why companies like Google with YouTube or Facebook with Instagram or Snapchat, I think those are really important foundational, the production side 
of sort of the mobile attention economy because it became so easy that anyone could produce content. You know, all you needed was your smartphone because that had its, a camera built in. And if you wanted to create a 10 second video through Snapchat, you could, or you could set it down and you could film yourself. And as a publisher of this different kinds of content, the tools enabled a full spectrum of content production so that you could sort of produce any level of content that you wanted, whether it just be a quick Snapchat to a friend, a one-to-one you know, piece of content that way. These things previously, prior to mobile computing, were really unfathomable, right? Like the only kind of content that you would see maybe on Yahoo or AOL were the things that the professional publishers and the content publishers were producing. And so it sort of democratized the content production side, therefore creating just a massive amount of surplus in terms of content that could then be consumed. So there were network effects of sorts, right? Because it became easier to produce content, became easier to consume content, and therefore it was a flywheel where it became just there was more incentive to produce content because it was just that much easier to produce and consume content. And so what I think we're seeing are the beginnings of the same sort of tool sets within the voice space, right? There are different companies, whether it be a company like Witlingo or a Voice XP or a VoiceFlow, where they're taking the process of creating the actual voice experience or the voice skill, and they're making it as easy as possible. And again, it's going to take time, but I think it's really important to point out that the tool sets are super important to monitor and watch as this all unfolds because that's what really sort of serves as the fuel that will allow for there to be more incentive to own these different devices, to use voice assistance, because it's just become that much easier to kind of produce the types of experiences through the different skills. And I know you said some of these things are are not here yet, but people are working on them. Is there anything that content creators should be doing or could be doing so that their podcast or their audio things are coming up first when somebody is doing search? Well, I think that, you know, what's kind of interesting with from the podcasting perspective is just in a matter of a few months, we've seen a whole lot more robustness around podcasting, the way that they can be searched. I mean, it was only until I think a couple months ago where you were able in Apple Podcasts, which is the largest podcast hosting service today. Up until recently, the, the search functionality was really limited. I mean, you had to search by the name of the podcast title itself or the actual the name of the podcast. So I'd have to search inside voice rather than today, what's starting to become made available is that you know you could search by people, for example, you know, so I could search for Dave Kemp and I could see in theory if everything is sort of tagged properly, I can see all the different podcasts that I've appeared on or you know, the more prominent people, again, I'll just keep using Elon Musk. Today, you should be able to, in the different podcast apps, be able to search for those different people. So on one hand, it, yes, there are best practices that podcasters and voice creators, I'll call them, can be abiding by. But at the end of the day, the tool makers are the ones that really need to enable a lot of this stuff. And what's encouraging is that I think we're really seeing a shift in the overall mentality toward how we think about these new audio-oriented formats. And I think that, again, this whole oral attention economy, it's sort of centric to the audio web and just the content that's consumed 
in that nature that's real passive and, and audio oriented. But I think where voice really comes into play here is voice as the ability to access all of that, right? It's sort of the OS, it's the search engine, it's all of it kind of wrapped into one. And so I think that what we'll see as this kind of continually progresses is that companies like Amazon and Google, they know that the number one use case in smart speakers is streaming services. So first and foremost, whether it be that Amazon and Google are going to be the ones spearheading this, or what we might see is a company like Spotify, who has a whole lot of incentive to be very in tune with the voice space. We could see a company like Spotify release sort of like a mini assistant of their own, right? So that rather than you saying Alexa and and you're trying to use Alexa to retrieve all the different things that you use Spotify for, kind of along the same vein of what we're seeing with the BBC moving toward launching their own voice assistant with Beeb and Beeb sort of being this subservient mini assistant that will be housed in the various ecosystems. So you can access it through Google, you can access it through Alexa, but it's sort of first and foremost, it's its own domain. And it's narrow because it's, you know, obviously not as wide encompassing as something like an Alexa that has, you know, everything ranging from what's the weather to play this third-party skill. What that mini assistant, I think, would entail is sort of being a, a narrow but a really deep vertical for those users. So that, again, kind of going back to this full circle is to say that where we might see this start to take shape is that as a creator, you want to make sure that your stuff is available on all the different podcasting platforms, including something like a Spotify, because maybe down the road, the way that a lot of people access podcasts is through the Spot mini voice assistant through their Alexa device, if that all makes sense. That is a very good point. And I know you were a speaker at our Voice Summit in July. And one of the things you had talked about was this example of how a company could do some branding within the voice space. And you had given the example of if you were wearing a hearable and the McDonald's tune kind of came on as you were close to a McDonald's to kind of Mm -hmm. signal like it's next to you. Can you give some other examples of what some sonic branding could do in the hearable space? And do brands need to be thinking about voice in a different way for hearables than they do for like an Alexa device at home? Yeah. So I'll kind of attribute some of this thought leadership to people like Eric CA, who is over at um, Audio UX, and then Andy Bellavia on your recent podcast episode. It absolutely needs to be thought of differently. Because again, what hearables do is hearables enable new context and new situations. Again, kind of to Andy's point, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to have all the different geolocation aspects to the Alexa that you have in your smart speaker that's stationary at home as it would in, say, like Echo Buds. And so I think what's interesting is to think about this, again, in the same way that you get types of notifications on your phone. You get all different kinds of notifications. Everything needs to be thought of as this okay, we're going to operate under the premise that people have these hearable devices in their ears for longer and longer portions of the day. And because there isn't this, whether it be an Apple Watch and the haptic uh, vibration that you get that sort of alerts you to something, or through your phone and you get the visual notification on your pop-up screen, there's going to have to be some equivalent in the audio space. And I think that like these sonic brands, chimes, 
different things that will be, and, and I think where the rubber is going to meet the road is to try to come up with a way that is not super intrusive, not super annoying, so that you're constantly getting like these chimes in your ear, but still functioning as a way to alert the user to various things. And I think that that's going to be what will define the successful companies in this era will be the ones that figure out that proper balance. But I think there's a ton of different you know, options of, of how this can all play out. I mean, I think we could go so far as to say that down the line, you might have a biometric monitor that will be you know, sort of monitoring your actual vitals and that will play into the overall context, the learned behavior that your voice assistant has, and then things like your geolocation, you know, just different things that your voice assistant has access to that we've given consent to, I think will all roll up into one sort of contextually aware voice assistant that will, I think, over time through clever designing, we'll be able to come up with ways where your voice assistant really is, again, it's this idea that I think sometimes gets lost in the shuffle here is the ultimate end goal I think here is it is your assistant. And we want this thing to be of service to the user in as many different ways as possible, whether that be at home and your smart speaker is letting you know that a package is on the way or your smart display is showing you that the delivery driver is at the front door or you're sort of on the go traveling, you're wearing your curable device and you get a tiny little chime that indicates that you need to pull your phone out because you need to give consent to the driver that's at your door. Again, kind of like the smart display thing or a chime that's saying that the package has just been left at your front door, something like that. So I think everything sort of connects and links together in a certain way, but it's just a matter of how do we do it in a less obtrusive, non-annoying way that is still over time understood by the user of, of sort of what the various things mean. And do you always need your phone with your hearable? Is that something you need now and will always need? Or will it just become like an earbud and you won't even need your phone to be with you? That's a great question. Today, you do need your phone. Um, and I have a theory that the phone will always sort of serve as a mothership to a degree. I think like, I don't believe in the notion that the phone just goes away in the, in the foreseeable future. I think what really happens is the phone gets unbundled. It gets unbundled through the peripherals. And it's, you know, whether it be your Apple Watch or it be your Echo Buds, I think in the near term, you're going to have to have something with uh, cellular connectivity. So you'll have to have maybe that's a watch. Maybe it's, I've kind of long believed that what Apple's moving toward right now is this watch plus AirPods paradigm. And, you know, there's a number of different ways that you could think about, say, like the case of the AirPods. That could be a really interesting area to monitor is that, you know, from a hardware standpoint, some of the different necessities that the phone currently facilitates, maybe it could be facilitated through a watch or even with the case of the device so that you have sort of this device that can receive information from the cloud, but maybe it just relays it up to the earbuds through Bluetooth or, you know, even a step further, it could be like ultra wideband, like what we're seeing with Apple in the U1 chip, which is sort of like a different play on Bluetooth, but it's a whole lot more powerful. And so all of that is to say that, you know, down the line, I think it's very possible that we'll have a scenario where 
you don't necessarily need the phone on you. You'll probably need something in addition to the earbud because you know there's a number of reasons why you don't want Wi-Fi in the earbud itself. You know, from a safety standpoint, the wavelengths are just probably not super safe. And that's something that's located right next to your brain. That's why most devices opt for Bluetooth. And down the line, again, we might move towards something like ultra wideband. But I think that you will need to have some type of intermediary device. But the question that's really remained to be seen is, will that really be the phone? And this is a question I had asked Andy as well. And I'm curious your thoughts on it. You know, we talk about how voice is like our assistant and it can help. But from a hearable standpoint, you know, if somebody's wearing these all the time, is it helping us to connect better to people in real life? Or is this now going to become even more of an issue where we feel more disconnected <laughs> from people around us? Yeah, it is a little bit of a paradox. But I will say that, again, kind of like reiterating what Andy said, it's all a matter of how the user chooses to use the technology. On one side of the spectrum, it's enabling things for certain aspects of our demographics that have we've never seen before. I mean, some of the more marginalized groups, whether it be older adults or folks that are living with disabilities that debilitate them from using the current epochs of technology, you know, like a mobile phone, for example, voice really does enable this in a new way. And, and I think having a device that's sort of constantly on your person that's feeding into, you know, that allows for you to connect into the audio internet, I think is really important. And I think that you will also on the other side of the spectrum have people that just like the way that people with their phones today, their necks are down and they're buried in their phone and, and they're a little bit more socially isolated maybe than previously had been. But one thing I'll point out is that, you know, this is top of mind for the hardware manufacturers. And I know that it's top of mind because one of the features that we're seeing make its way into more and more devices is this pass-through audio effect. Essentially, if you think about active noise cancellation, that feature in headphones, what that's doing is it's using microphones to sort of block out the sound in your... So it's, it's using microphones to actually mute the sound that's in your outside environment. It's capturing that sound and then it's muting it. And so what we're now seeing is sort of the opposite effect where you have a third microphone that's placed on a lot of these different devices that's called a pass-through mic. And the whole point of that is to feed your physical sound environment through your earbuds so that in essence, we could have a scenario where you have something like an AirPods that is filtering and, and the user would be able to balance this however they want, but it's sort of blending your two sound environments together, your digital acoustic environment and your physical acoustic environment. And because of that, what we might move toward, and again, this sounds a little bit like sci-fi, future, cyborg-y, but again, operating under this assumption that there's going to be more and more reasons to wear these devices for longer periods of the day, I think what we're seeing is a behavior shift. I think that it's just becoming socially normalized to wear these devices for longer periods of time. But I think where, again, kind of the rubber meets the road here is at what point do we say that there are other social standards that are established so that if you're going to wear AirPods for five hours throughout the day, it should become just understood that when you're in, say, an office setting and you're wearing these in your ears, you can still come up and talk to me. I'm not you know, completely isolated here. I'm not drowning out my physical acoustic environment because the new standard becomes we're all using these pass-through audio features that will blend our different environments. So 
that isn't something that's available in the current generation of AirPods. I know that it's something that's going to be available in Echo Buds. And again, I think that it's there are other sort of third-party manufacturers that are implementing the same feature. And I think it's going to be things like that that will help to combat this idea that if you look at it on the surface today and you think, wow, that's disturbing that we're moving toward a time where people just have things in their ears all the time. And and does that just mean that no one's going to communicate face-to-face anymore? On the contrary, I believe that what it will actually mean is that we will have stuff in our ears all the time. By and large, you know, there will be obviously certain social situations where you're not going to wear a pair of AirPods, you know, and people will use their discretion when that is. But I think that that there can be a happy medium between the two to where it's established that you are sort of kind of simultaneously connected to both your digital sound environment and your acoustic sound environment. Yeah, that will definitely be interesting to see considering most people can't multitask and (laughs) that is something we're not supposed to do. So that's why I'm very curious on the brain side, how this will work, what that will feel like, you know, the interaction between people. Where can people learn more about you if they have questions about what we talked about or want to connect? You can go to my blog, futureear.co, and you can read my daily update there. You can subscribe via email so that you get it sent to your email. I'm also really active on Twitter. So at Oaktree underscore Dave. On my website, you'll see I have my, uh, a link to my flash briefing. So like I said, pop that into your flash briefing if you're a big flash briefing fan and you'll at least have an idea of what I wrote about each day so that you can then choose whether or not you'd like to actually go read the full story. So yeah, it's really those three places is where I'm most active. And is there, besides your own, is there a flash briefing or voice skill or experience that you're using and really enjoying right now? You know, I'll kind of reiterate what Andy said. I listen to a ton, so it's hard for me to pick just one. But the one that I think is awesome. That was one of the first ones that I started listening to routinely that I think she does an awesome job with constantly helping me to think about things in a different way is Emily Bender's Beetle Moment Marketing. That one's awesome. I just have... I've gotten a lot of really interesting insight from her beyond just voice. She talks a lot about voice. She's very knowledgeable about voice, but it it transcends that. It talks about digital marketing and just the age that we're living in today. And as a marketer and thinking about this through the lens of like business development, how much these different communication channels are, are all changing. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for kind of bringing some new ideas and insight into the hearable space. We appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.